It's not my intention to uh, uh, make fools of any of you, but, uh, and hopefully this will make sense in a second, but I need you all to kind of help me out if, uh, if you can tell me if you recognize these people. Who's this guy on the left? Aaron Rodgers. Very, very good. How about the guy in the middle? Crosby. What's his first name? Mason. There you go. How about the guy on the right? It's the coach, <laughs> Matt Lefleur. Okay. Very good. You guys know your Packers. Or do you? Who's the guy on the, on the left-hand side? Anybody? Guy in the middle? Not ringing a bell? How about the guy on the right? It's one of the coaches. Okay. Uh, I didn't know him either, and that, that's kind of why I picked him. So here, Vernon Scott was drafted in 2020. He's a safety. Uh, Kylan Hill was drafted in 2021. 20, He's a running back. And then uh, uh, Tom Clements just came out of retirement. He was a Packer coach years ago, and then he went to somebody else. He retired. And then uh, apparently they talked him into coming out of retirement. He's, he's the quarterback coach. These are guys that we don't readily recognize or, or know by name. And part of the fact is, is because they're not the A team. They, they aren't the big names. Uh, so we have to work to get to know them. Uh, and everybody knows that if you want to win a championship, regardless of what sport we're talking about, you need a complete team effort. That's just the reality of it. Uh, even the non-A-team guys or the people who don't necessarily play a prominent role uh, come game time, they're all vital and important. Uh, and you're always told that with practices and then in scheming and planning. Or if the guy ahead of you goes down with an injury, uh, next man up, you've got to step up and you've got to do the job. So everybody plays a crucial and a vital role no matter what team we're talking about. Truth is, the same principle holds true in all of Scripture. Uh, you know the famous guys. I listed off just a couple. And typically, those are the ones that we talk about, we study, and we refer to in each Sunday's lesson. But what we're going to do this Trinity season is actually take a look at the lesser-known people that God has used, kind of in quiet ways or behind the scenes. And it's my own designation to call them the B team, but they're, they're the lesser-known people that, that God has used. And a couple examples. So upper left-hand side, have any of you ever heard a sermon, not on Jesus changing water to wine at the wedding of Cana, but have you ever heard a sermon about the servants who played a crucial role in that? I've never preached one on it, so this would be new and intriguing for me. Um, we all talk about Saul being converted to a Christian, and ultimately that name change of Paul. But a lot of times we don't talk about the man that God sent to help Paul transition from his paganism into Christianity, the man by the name of Ananias. He plays a crucial role. Or maybe this little boy king. You all know about David. You all know about Solomon. We even know about the bad guys like Ahab. But we don't know much about Josiah. He became king of the southern kingdom of Judah at age eight. And imagine how challenging that would be. And ultimately, he became one of the few good kings that Israel ever saw. And then Pentecost, having been last Sunday, uh, it occurred to me, you know what? There are thousands of nameless people that were prominent in the beginning of the Christian church. But the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to tell us exactly who they were. He just speaks about them in general ways. So for that lesson, it'll be a good reminder for us. You don't have to be a big name in God's kingdom in order to do big work for God. What we need to understand is, is that every family organization needs some level of functionality for it to survive and even thrive. And the reality is, is that oftentimes we don't find that in a sinful and broken world. Not only is it a crucial part of God's design, but as you can see, sometimes it's a matter of life.
ever watch those nature specials, killer whales? I, I didn't realize all of the things they go after. Penguins is one of them, seals is another. And it's like, uh, and I've even seen those where you'll have a seal on an ice float and they're, they're smart animals. They'll get like four or five of them working as a team, creating this huge wave to try and knock the seal off. So it's kind of nice to see the good guys win one. But you realize how important teamwork is. And that's going to be the focus of not only our study this Trinity season, but specifically on this kickoff lesson today. We're going to look at a few crucial verses in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and consider how God has designed us perfectly. And unfortunately, sin has messed with that. But God has in mind a design where everybody matters to God and his work. Uh, he, Paul usually, usually actually uses this illustration of the human body to describe how the church is to function. And that becomes part of our lesson today. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Okay, even though we're going to only focus in on these few verses, it's good for us to understand uh, a little bit something about the city of Corinth and the congregation that existed there. And we've had other lessons on Corinth, and maybe it rings in your memory, but of all of the early churches, there was no more dysfunctional family of believers than the Corinthian church, and a lot of it was their own doing. They would actually invite problems uh, into their lives and into the relationship with one another. And so what we need to understand is not only the setting of the city, but also the mindset of these Corinthian Christians, which will help us to better understand why Paul uses this interesting illustration of the human body and the point he's trying to make about how everybody does matter. To give you a brief history lesson, Corinth was a successful merchant city in ancient Greece. If there were two words to describe the culture of the city, they would probably be money and sex. Due to its strategic location, Corinth was a decently wealthy city and became a hub for consumerism. And as far as sexual morals go, they were loose at best. To give you an example, there was a case where a son and a stepmom were having an affair within the church. Alongside money and sex, other idols existed as well. Corinth was also a hub for many forms of paganism. Now you might be wondering, why would Paul be associating himself with a city like this? Well, because there were followers of Jesus in Corinth that were struggling to live a life that glorified God because they were surrounded by a culture that essentially did the opposite. Maybe the whole stepmom situation didn't make it clear, but these people needed guidance. So Paul starts the letter off with some quick words of encouragement and thanksgiving. He thanks God for the gifts he has given to the church in Corinth and says they have been enriched in every way. And then without skipping a beat, Paul proceeds to lecture the church on all of the things they've been doing wrong. Now apparently there was a lot the Corinthians had to learn because Paul covers a ton of topics. But if you read closely, you'll notice some overarching themes. Chapters 1 to 4 are all about division in the church. He calls people out for fighting over which spiritual leader to follow, saying that those arguments don't matter because all of our wisdom comes from God. And this is a pretty humble move on his part since one of the leaders being idolized was Paul himself. In chapters 5 to 8, he moves on to address some specific questions the church had and to condemn certain sins he had heard of them justifying. He condemns things like sexual immorality, pride, and in chapter 6, he even has to tell them to stop filing lawsuits against fellow believers. He also answers some questions regarding marriage, sex, and food that's been sacrificed to idols. 
Later in chapters 9 to 14, Paul focuses in on what it means to live as a community devoted to Jesus. He provides instructions on specific things like public worship and spiritual gifts, but also gives the church a more simplified instruction by saying, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul finishes his thoughts in chapter 15 with a reminder of the importance and centrality of the gospel. He talks about how Christ has been raised from the dead, claiming victory over sin and death, and that as followers of Jesus, we claim that victory too and should live in a way that shows it. Overall, 1 Corinthians highlights that Christians are meant to live in ways different from the world. We serve a compassionate, holy God, and our actions should represent that. If we fall into the same sorts of things that the Corinthians did, it will affect our relationship with God and can distort how others see Jesus through us. Our words and actions should point towards Christ, not away from him. That last point is very vital and one of the things we'll focus on. There, there's something about God's design and creation of us uh, and he intends to us to function together as a, a, a complete body uh, for two purposes and we'll review those in just a moment. But I want to begin with the main focus of what Paul is talking about and one of the things that created such dysfunction in the Corinthian congregation. They had a whole list and you saw the video give us a number of topics. But ours comes from that third section and, and basically it focuses on a division and a dysfunction over the spiritual gifts. Now unfortunately the spiritual gifts are something that the church uh, has been confused about uh, for millennia and, and I'll be honest even today, many Christians don't fully understand uh, what spiritual gifts are, why God gives them, how they're intended to be used. So let's do a quick review. I've put up the three New Testament sections where spiritual gifts are basically talked about. Paul writes at length about them in, in Romans. He makes a, a short reference in Ephesians. And then I've given you the reference to our epistle lesson, which served as the context for today's lesson. Those are really the three primary areas. You don't hear a lot other than these sections about spiritual gifts. So what is a spiritual gift? Don't confuse a spiritual gift with a natural human talent. And there's a variety of talents that each and every one of us has depending upon how God wires us. A spiritual gift is something that God the Holy Spirit gives to each and every one of us when he blesses us with the gift of faith. Amongst all of the things that faith gives us, such as a secure relationship with our Creator and salvation through God the Son and what He's done for us, spiritual gifts are given to every Christian for the purpose of bringing glory to the name of God and then ultimately to be a witness to the rest of the world. Every Christian has been gifted with at least one, if not more, spiritual gifts. And especially the Romans passage talks about some of the variety of gifts and the Ephesians talks about ways in which those gifts are meant to be used in official and sometimes less than official ways. There's actually three different categories of spiritual gifts. There's the teaching gifts, there's the serving gifts, and then there's one area of gifts that are no longer given, the sign gifts. And the gifts that would fall into that category would be like the speaking in tongues, speaking a language you've never learned, uh, the ability to heal or raise the dead. The reason why there was a shelf life on those gifts is because during the first century, God used them as a means to not only communicate with his churches when they had problems, but then also as testimony to what his messengers were saying was absolutely true and powerful. 
The reason why the sign gifts are no longer given is because the New Testament has been completed. And everything that we need is within that. That isn't to say that in extraordinary circumstances, every once in a while, God will miraculously work such a gift through somebody, but it is not a typical or ordinary gift in which God gives, which then leaves us with the other two categories, the teaching gifts and the serving gifts. Now, because there's such confusion and oftentimes misunderstanding, one of the things that we try to do as part of the ministry of Abiding Shepherd is make sure people not only understand what spiritual gifts are, but the reason for which God gave them. If you have never been uh, asked to fill out one of these, it's called the Spiritual Gifts Discovery Tool. It's a way to figure out what your spiritual gift or gifts probably is. I have a stack here. If you've never filled one out, I would invite you to grab one of these, take it home, fill it out, and then return it to one of us pastors or to Holly if you see her. And the way to do this is, is just to go through it very quickly. Don't overthink these. Uh, when you read a question, the very first thing that comes to mind answer that and then move on. Otherwise, if you try to overthink it, you can almost manipulate it to say what you want it to say. Um, but we find the best way to discover what our gift is is just to let God basically lead us through and reveal it to us. What we do with that then is we take what people's gifts are and put them into a spiritual gifts catalog. And rather than simply putting up a volunteer sheet or a call to arms for, hey, we got a job, who wants to do this? What we try to do is, as the Lord presents us with ministry opportunities, is match that service with the person who has the right gift. They are not only naturally created by God to succeed in that area, but it is also a blessing to them and a feeling of contentment when you actually use what God has given you to invest in his kingdom work. So again, uh, I don't want to put a guilt trip on like you got to do this, but if you've never discovered what your spiritual gift or gifts are, uh, this is certainly an excellent opportunity to do that. Why I'm making such a big deal about spiritual gifts is because of the dysfunction that the misunderstanding and confusion of spiritual gifts created within the Corinthian congregation. And that's why the illustration that Paul uses of the human body is such a great picture to try and teach them, as well as teach us, how spiritual gifts are meant to be used. Uh, the Christian church was designed very much like the human body. It's many parts, each separate from the other, and yet God unites them into one unit, and so that functioning together, uh, they can actually do what they were created to do. And in this case, glorify God and share the gospel message with other people. It's when that body doesn't work the way in which it was designed. When parts of the body try to fight against other parts of the body, well, if you've ever had that going on, your arm hurts and all of a sudden it's not doing what it's supposed to do, you know it means that your body is not functioning the way that God had created it to function. And it's a problem. It, it can be a real a depressing thing in our lives. And so understanding and using spiritual gifts in the right way is not only a blessing to us individually in our relationship with the Lord, but it's actually a blessing in our relationship with one another, something that was being severely tested with the people in Corinth. Now, here was the problem. The Corinthians not only had misunderstanding, but they took their dysfunction to an art form, basically saying that one gift was more important than another gift. Now, I think humanly speaking, we can get that. We might say that the head is a much more vital portion to the body than a hand. And while from a human perspective that's true, from God's design of the human body, if one part ceases to function as it was created to function, it diminishes the creation of the body. 
The same thing is true of the church. When one part of the church ceases to function as God created it to function, it not only hurts that individual, but it diminishes the work of the church and ultimately undermines bringing glory to God. See, what the Corinthians were doing was they were taking the gifts from the Holy Spirit and trying to rank them. So, for instance, if somebody had the gift of healing, in their mind, they were saying that they were a much more important Christian or their faith was bigger and stronger because, oh, compared to somebody else, say somebody with a serving gift, somebody who sat at the door and washed feet when people came to church, uh, it was the healer who was more important than the one who's washing feet. And in God's eyes, that just doesn't click. Because to God, everybody matters and every part of the body, as well as every part of the church, is meant to fulfill a certain role. And you take that role away, then all of a sudden it undermines and undercuts the rest of the work of the body. Here was the other problem. People who had these more prominent gifts from a human perspective thought that they were better people. And so the devil used that to feed their arrogance and their pride, and they started to rank themselves in the church according to what gift they had been given. But there's a reason why it's called a gift. It was given to them. They didn't earn it. It wasn't some level of faith where God said, okay, you're this good of a Christian, so now I'm going to give you the ability to do this. It came from the moment that they were gifted with faith. They went from unbelief to Christianity, and as soon as that happened, the Spirit gave them that gift. It had nothing to do with the quality of their character, or how long they'd been part of the church, or whether they were huge when it came to donations, or whether they were the ones who were able to speak and teach the Word of God. It all had to do with the fact that Jesus Christ, first and foremost, defeated the one thing that tries to take away or get us to abuse our gifts, sin, and also the Holy Spirit, who in his mind decides who should have what gift in order to serve him. Now, to complete the picture, this is what Paul says. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Again, we might say, well, a head's more important than feet. But Paul makes the point, if you don't have feet, how are you going to walk? And I can't say to the hands, I don't need you. Like, eyes are important. Of the five senses, I think most of us would agree, it's probably the most important sense. But it isn't more important than having your hands, because if you had your hands chopped off, how would you pick anything up? That's the point Paul's trying to say. He's not saying that some gifts might have a greater impact than others. He's saying that none of them rank higher or are more important than any of the others, because they were created to function as a unit and any time you pull one part of that unit apart, it ceases to be that amazing creation that God wanted it to be. So the point that Paul is making to the Corinthians is quite simple. Quit acting like spoiled, selfish little children. Quit trying to compare yourselves to others. Quit taking a grace of God, a sign of his love, and an extension of his mercy, and holding that over the head of others like somehow God favors you more than the next guy. And unfortunately, it's a problem that still does exist within the church today. Not just the misunderstanding of gifts, but sometimes we still live in that same lie that the devil constantly whispers in our ear that somehow because of who you are or because of what you've done or what you're able to do, somehow God must favor you. It couldn't be any further from the truth. Because God gifts us all according to his divine will. And God says, I want them all to work together. As brothers and sisters in Christ, 
to ultimately bring glory to his son who rescued us. And so if you take a step back, get yourselves out of the Corinthian way of thinking, there is a beautiful and simple way in which God has designed not only the human body, but the church. Have you ever wished you had a certain talent or gift? Maybe you wish you were a brilliant scientist or a world famous singer or a gold medal winning basketball player. Those are all good gifts. But sometimes, no matter how much we practice or how hard we try, we just won't have all the gifts we want. But that doesn't mean we don't have special gifts of our own. We all play an important role in the body of Christ, also known as the church. And God's given all of us gifts to help. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said to think about it like this. In our human body, our eyes and our feet were made to do very different things. Our eyes were made to see, and our feet were made to walk. If our eyes and our feet decided to change places, how would we see? How would we walk? Our bodies wouldn't work very well. The body of Christ is the same way. God's given us our special gifts as part of His church. When we use those gifts well, the whole body of Christ works like it should to show God's love to each other and the world. But when we don't use our gifts or get jealous and wish we had different gifts, it's like we're an eye wishing we were a foot. God made you to be you with your own unique and special mix of gifts and talents. So think about how you can use the gifts He's given you to follow Jesus and serve others as part of the church. When you do that, you'll be true to the self God made you to be. There's one last point Paul makes in this section, and it's actually counter to everything the Corinthians were thinking. And he's actually dealing with two areas. One we would call our private parts. And he says, you know, there's, there's certain parts of our body that we don't show the world. It's only in the privacy of our homes that they become exposed. Those we treat in a special way. We have special coverings for them. But then he takes it to the next level. And this is something I'd never fully recognized until working through this. And not only does he talk about the beautiful private parts of our body, but he's actually talking about the ugly parts the deformed parts, the parts that sin has had an effect on. Paul says these parts, as well as the others, while most people would look down on them and go, well, they're not that big of a deal, or, or we hide them away, Paul actually makes the opposite point. He says, look at all the time and attention we spend trying to make these portions of our body presentable to the rest of the world. In fact, he's saying it's just the opposite. It's the little ones. It's the ugly ones. It's, it's the ones that are unpresentable to the rest of the world that gets all of our attention because we don't want anybody to see us in a bad light or in a negative way. He says in the same way, the gifts of the church and Christians that are oftentimes considered to be little or only contributing in small amounts are the ones that receive and deserve some of the greatest glory and attention most of all because to God, everyone does truly matter. And you know how true that is. We, we see it in life. For a team to function, and I'm not just talking about sports teams, I'm sure you've seen it at work too. If you've got one person who doesn't do their job, it hurts the whole team. 
and sometimes it undermines the entire business. If you have one person in a family who is constantly working against everybody else, you know the division and the depression and the downright just anxiety it brings to everybody else in the family. God isn't saying coddle to that person. God is saying let them know that they matter and that they are of value and that they need to cooperate with the rest of the team or the work crew or the family in order to live up to exactly what God wanted us to be. His children who glorify his name and witnesses of Jesus Christ who let the rest of this world know that to God everybody matters. Now, I just want to do a little plugging for what we're going to go through. And again, I've introduced the lesson. Do you have kind of what your appetite was? Just some of the things we're going to study. But I think it's ultimately important that we understand that throughout this series, we're going to again and again remind each other. And hopefully we can do that on a regular basis, not just as part of the sermon, but as part of the body of Christ. So let everybody know that they have value and worth and they are important to us. Not just as part of a visible church on, on earth, but part of the body of Christ so that ultimately we can live up to what God created us to be, his true family, and generally those who bring glory to his name. And hopefully by doing that, we can be true and good witnesses to the world, which finds itself out on an island and disconnected from God. There's another reason, though, and another important part of the study, and the fact that you probably recognize that the devil will use whatever he can to divide us. We might be talking about family, we might be talking about friends, but certainly we're talking about the church. The devil will use whatever he can to try and make us not love one another, not care about one another, not value one another, and ultimately fail to be what God created us to be. Sometimes the most important part of what we do here is not just the study of God's word, but the study of God's word together. It's a beautiful thing that God created us in such a way to know that somebody has our back. That we have fellow Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, who care enough about us so that if we find ourselves failing, they will lift us up. If we find ourselves falling, they will comfort us with the word of God. And if we find ourselves succeeding, we can share in their success because what happens to one of us happens to all of us. In the end, the simple message of Paul is this. You were created to be the body of Christ. He gave his very life to make that happen. He died so that he can take away the thing that truly divides us, sin, and to bring back to us the thing that ultimately unites us, life. Because if everybody matters to God, then everybody should matter to us. Written in our hearts is a longing for connectedness, a hope buried deep within to find a place to belong, to find our identity in something that is greater than ourselves. Though we sometimes desire to get away from it all, there is nothing like the feeling of being accepted, welcomed, and loved by someone else. We want to know that we matter that our lives mean something, that someone looks at us and sees value. We experience a desire for community, to be a part of something where we are needed and where we also find our needs met. 
It is in relationship, not in isolation, that we become all that we are intended to be. And yet, we face a problem. We try to keep our ways of doing things, and therefore our very attempts to create a perfect world have resulted in the shattered society that hinders our lives. To help those closest to us, we exclude those who are far off. We become overwhelmed by the inability we feel to fix that which we see as broken. We live separated, fragmented lives, feeling detached from any hope of a solution. There is hope. Though many have run from the pain of this world, there was one who ran towards it. His name is Jesus, the Son of God. We look at Jesus and see the God who cannot be seen. In Him, we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, above and below, visible and invisible, got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. He holds all creation together. In Him, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in a brilliant harmony, all because of His death, His blood that poured down from the cross. Jesus brought us over to God's side and put our lives together. We are restored in His likeness to be participants in His community. We love one another, for He first has loved us. He is love, never failing. Jesus, our hope forever. His love is relentless.